The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. So how many people at the opening have been to more than five weddings in the last 12 months? Just one or two, really? Three? Okay, there's a few of you. How many of you have stood up in more than four weddings in the last 12 months? Okay. Facebook must lie then. I see a lot of wedding pictures, a lot of people standing up in weddings. Why do you think it is that wedding movies are so popular? So if you Google, what are the top movies? IMBD.com actually pulls up, like you Google top, top movies, and it actually, one of the first hits on Google that I had was top 50 wedding movies of all time. These are 10 of the top 12. I omitted two because I had no clue what they were because they were well before from when I was born. So I just, just opted them out right away. Why is it that people love wedding movies? Or that every year a new one rolls out? Okay, why do you hate wedding movies? <laughs> They're high in emotion. They're high in emotion? Okay. Why else? Things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. You know what I tell every couple? And the first time we meet with each, when I meet with them, there's one thing you need to know about your wedding day. Do you know what I say? Something will go wrong. I say it to every couple. Something will go wrong. By the time you get to your wedding day, on that day, everything you've planned, something will go wrong. You cannot plan grandma. You think you can plan grandma. You can tell grandma to show up, but grandma won't show up when you tell grandma to show up. Why? Because she's grandma. Something will go wrong. Cakes won't show up. Flowers won't show up. Something will go wrong. Okay, so let's go ahead. Why do you think weddings, there should be, let's go back to that one then. There should have been the next one. Why are weddings so popular in general? Why do people like going to weddings? I know there's some people who don't like going, but why do people generally like going to a wedding? What's that? Happy event. Celebration. Celebration. Food. Food, free food. Usually free good food. Why do people like going to weddings? Why do you like going to weddings? Dance. So there's one family, and I'm not going to say who they are, that I'd heard rumors of their weddings. No, 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 point, no pointing. Stop pointing. That's not nice. There's families that have heard rumors of their weddings within this family. And, and, it, and, and, and it's epic. Everybody that you've ever talked to knows, at least people in the general Wisconsin area, know of this family and their weddings. They are legendary. And it may be because animals tend to show up at these weddings. It may be that these weddings are just known to be a great time. But I got to experience one of those this summer. And I got to tell you, it was exciting. I don't know like, if the couple was nearly as excited as I was because for five years I've been hearing epic rumors of these family parties and these family parties that just keep going and these family parties that just keep going and going. Have you ever been to one of those wedding parties that just keeps going, that is just a blast? What makes the best wedding that you've ever attended? Think of the one that you've attended and your own doesn't count. So if you had to pick the top wedding party, what was it about that wedding party that stands out? What was it? 
What was it? How much they loved each other. You starting to catch a theme here? The reason I bring this up is because weddings today are like these grand events that last for six, maybe 12 hours max, and the wedding day is over. Biblically, you planned a wedding, it was a year, two years in planning, and then you'd party for seven days. That's what I think I like most about this epic family that, I, that I've rumored to be around, is because their parties almost seem to last for an entire week. Or it kind of starts when everybody starts showing up, and then it keeps going for a couple days after as everybody leaves. And that's been a fantastic journey, is to watch how some of those big parties take place. It's a lot of fun. That's an amazing picture because Jesus decides that he doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to understand something. He has a lesson that he wants to teach us. And so what does he do? He picks something. How many of you have ever been to a wedding? Just about everybody has been to a wedding. It's a topic we get, right? So if I'm going to try to relate to you, I'm going to try to pick an event like a major sports event where there's a loud sound that you all understand. Jesus in his teaching, he doesn't want us to be in the dark. He wants us to understand something. He wants us to understand about how the end of the world is going to happen. He wants us to understand what our faith, the importance of our faith life. And so he uses pictures that we're all used to seeing. The only problem is our weddings today are a little bit different than the weddings back then. So let me give you a little brief rundown. Their weddings would start with a betrothal. And that was actually what we would call the courthouse signature, where the couples would actually sign, and they were legally married, but had not consummated the marriage. They'd not slept together. And that could be somewhere from 6, 12, 18, 24 months in advance, if not further. So the legal contract was signed, you were married. Now comes that betrothed period. If you remember Jesus, his mother was betrothed, or pledged to be married to Joseph. That was this time frame. Legally, they are married. Legally, they're married. But this is the time frame where now the bridegroom plans the party. And he gets all the wine, and he gets all the meal, and he gets everything together, and then he shows up. And they pick a wedding day, and it's going to happen, and then when he shows up, the party begins. It's kind of opposite of our weddings, right? The guy stands up here and goes, I sure wonder when she's going to come down. <sighs> it's, it, it, it's that time. Where is she? Is she coming? You have that panic. Whole movies are based on that, right? Is she actually going to make it up the aisle? Well, it was the opposite. The bridegroom would come to the, to the bride's house and bring the party with, and everybody would join, and there would be a grand party. And actually, he'd come get her and take her back to his place where the big party would take place. So now, that's the picture of the wedding. And it's the day of the wedding, and Jesus is going to have a little bit of something to, to, to warn us about today. He's going to give us this message. I'm giving you the keynote right now. This is the nugget for tonight. Don't be fooled. Not everybody's prepared. Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He has just talked with them. He's had a long day of dialogue on the, Mount of Al, on the Temple Mound with the Pharisees. He's argued. He's fought. They've come now. It's evening. They're walking across the Kidron Valley. They're up on the Mount of Olives. They're overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem. They're overlooking the temple, which would have been lit up because of all the fires that would have been going you would have seen the smoke rising, and he's overlooking it, and he's telling them about the end of time, and he's giving them this message, not everybody's prepared. And it's the same message for you and I. Not everybody's prepared. And here's point number two. Don't be fooled. Not everybody's getting in. Not everybody, not all are getting in. Jesus has this two-pronged message for his disciples. 
Not everybody's prepared for his second return. And not everybody's going to be getting into heaven. So as I read the section we're going to take a look at, I want you to take a moment and I want you to focus on that lamp up in the front. Go ahead, Nate. How many of you have seen one of these little lamps before? This is the picture you see on the front of all of your kids' Sunday school sheets. You've probably colored one once or twice before. I'll bring it down in a moment. But the entire thing is smaller than my fist. And think about the amount of light it is already throwing. I want you to focus on that as I read our lesson. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here comes the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the doors for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. that little lamp that's burning up there, it'll burn at that height for roughly an hour. It holds a shot of oil, just to give you an amount. One ounce of oil is what it holds. So what you see flaming up there right now is one ounce of oil on a wick. This is the picture. This is a picture they would have used. Now there's two people who, there, there are people who say, you know, this isn't the lamp that would have been suggested in this text. That they really would have been talking about torches, not these little lamps. But even as I walk, you can see this thing's pretty bright, isn't it? Whether it's a little one like this, or whether it was one of the big ones. This is the picture he was using. All of us have flashlights or cell phones that we now use. The scary thing is, is this produces just about as much light as your, as your uh, cell phone flashlight if it's completely black in here. And I bring this around and I show you this today because as we take a look at this passage, we take a look at what God has to say about keeping your wicks trimmed and burning. 
Are you ready? You can turn the lights back on, Nate. Are you prepared? What does preparation in our personal lives look like? To be prepared for the bridegroom to come. When I, ask you, when I say not all are getting in, how many of you have a real Debbie Downer or just like a depressed feeling? It's not, it's not a pretty thought, is it? That not everybody is going to be getting in. And here's even a sadder picture. The picture Jesus is using of the ten bridesmaids who are there are ten people who know of who the Messiah is and yet their faith is not prepared to go the long haul. They have a quick faith. If you want to use the parable of the sower and the seed, they're the seed that falls quickly and shoots up real fast, but then, then dies because it has no roots. That's the picture Jesus is pointing out to us here. He's saying, guess what? These ten people aren't five people who believe and five people who don't believe. These are ten people who all at one point had the faith. These are ten people who had prepared, who had heard the message, who the Holy Spirit had called to faith. The Holy Spirit had given them the fire of faith in their hearts. And yet, they let that die out. They let it die out because guess what? They had this concept of, I graduated confirmation. I don't need this anymore. I know all the answers. I know the Bible stories. I know how to apply them. It's okay if I don't show up. It's okay. That's the picture of what it is to not have oil. To not be filling, refilling your lamp. So I'm going to tell you today, I've tested this lamp three times. I've had to refill the lamp three times today in order to be able to be ready for you tonight. So that the flame keeps burning. For those of you who were here earlier, you watched it burn for 45 minutes and then I blew it out so that I could refill it just before worship began so that we would be ready for worship. That is the picture Jesus is using for the disciples. That is the picture He's using for you and I is this picture that, guess what? Faith is not a one-time act. It's not, hey, I showed up. I have it with me. Look, I have my lamp. I got it burning today. If you want to put it into more contextually, it's charging your battery on your cell phone today and never charging it again and then being shocked in a couple weeks that, oh, my phone doesn't turn on. That'd probably be the picture Jesus used today instead of using an oil lamp. It's like, how many of you charge your, have a charger on you? Or have a charger in your car? How many of you have a charger in your car? How many of you are, no, are, are rarely within... Guess what? It's one of the weird things. We all have these things attached to us at all times. I'm attached because I'm podcasting. So you, you have it on you at all times. And guess what? This thing is not only important to us, but we are desperate enough that we will always have this and a, a wad of cords with us to make sure we can always keep it, keep it going because we have to be attached. And Jesus, that's what He's saying in this passage. He's saying, how many of you have a faith that is the same as you treat your cell phone? Keeping it charged. How many of you are trusting in Jesus? Trusting that He will return. Trusting in everything He has to say and keeping it daily with you and recharging it daily as you're in His Word. Recharging it as you gather for His Holy Supper. As you receive His body and blood to strengthen you for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the cool picture He uses for us, right? As He's giving us pictures of things we know. Pictures of things we're readily using. And I don't want you to be fooled. I want you to hear what I am saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
You are saved because of what Jesus has done for you. You are saved because He has died for you, because He has chosen you and He has placed faith in your hearts. But whether you're the wise or the foolish bridesmaid is upon you. Whether you're the wise one who continues to be in the Word, who continues to prepare, who continues to be excited about the wedding banquet to come, that's on you. If you get disenchanted with the fact that you have this invitation to the wedding, that's on you. That's on you that if you turn away from it and you begin to let the oil pour out so that your flame goes down, give it about 10 minutes and it'll be nearly down. That's on you. The Holy Spirit has given you the faith. The Holy Spirit has brought you into the family. The Holy Spirit continues to build on you, but you have the ability to snuff it out. You do have that ability. And that's what Jesus is calling on them to say. Hey, don't be one of those people. Think about when you get... There's a reason why He uses the picture of a wedding feast. And that's why we had that section from Revelation. Hear hear it again. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. You can go ahead and put this one up there. The last fill in the blank. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Blessed are you who are... you are invited to the wedding party of the Lamb. So here's his, his, his comments for you. You have this invitation to the greatest wedding party that is ever being thrown. It's kind of like me this summer being invited to that wedding party out in the middle of the country where they had a trailer full of beverages and it was just an amazing night of fun and partying and just getting to know people and hanging out and to know that that's the picture Jesus gives for me to, as, a, as a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. So you have two options. You have this option to say, hey, I want to keep looking forward to that wedding party. Hey, I have the ability to prepare, just like we prepare for weddings today. I have the ability to keep preparing for this wedding. Or I have the ability to say, oh, that wedding's coming. Well, maybe the night before I'll go get a present. Well, maybe the night before I'll talk to the bride or the groom about that wedding. And we've all been to that wedding, right? Where we've actually gone to the wedding and then we've gone out to get the present between the wedding and the reception or we went to go buy a car because we were not prepared. And the irony is, is that's the exact picture Jesus uses to say, those who show up for the wedding but don't, aren't prepared, unlike us who can go buy the present in between, he says at that point, you're not welcome back to the party. If you're not ready for the wedding, you don't get into the party. But he sends his Holy Spirit. He connects us to his word. And that has daily implications for us. Daily implications to say every morning, I want to spend a little time with Jesus. Every day I'm pondering a few words of His as I continue to prepare for the wedding that's coming. Because guess what? I went to a Lepke wedding. Some of you know the Lepkes, and I'm going to use their names. Some of you have been to a Lepke wedding. Jesus' wedding is better than a Lepke wedding. And that's saying a lot. It's a time where you get to see your Savior. He's prepared you for it. He's given you the Spirit to be connected to Him. And that has daily implications. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Don't be the person caught off guard who forgot their gift. Don't be the person who forgot the wedding was coming. But spend time with Him daily and be prepared. Amen.